Hey gang, um, welcome to another Thin Air, um, this one I don't really know what's gonna happen, um, yesterday I found out some really sad news from, uh, an old friend and, um, really, uh, I don't think I've, I've quite felt that, um, that impact of just, uh, real sadness, <laughs> like, like I experienced yesterday, um, about 24 hours ago, when I found out from, um, a good, a good friend that someone very close to, to that friend, and, um, just a young person, a, a beautiful, wonderful young person, had, uh, just died in a car wreck, um, in the same span of time that, um, a baby was being born. So my friend was having a kid while, um, someone very important to him, uh, a young nephew, uh, was at the same time going out of this world. And, um, yeah, that's, that's the context, I guess, for this talk. Um, and really, I mean, sitting here, I, uh, Huxy went down for a nap and I flipped on the recorder and as usual, I'm, I'm just, you know, throwing my hat over the fence and just saying, Hey, I'm going to, I'm just going to think and talk, but it's, it's such a strange thing. Um, because I mean, 24 hours ago I was, um, just really a mess. Like it was just so present and powerful and I was sitting outside and just uh a wash in emotions that I couldn't control just the the rawness of it and um that feeling of just empathy and compassion for uh people who are suffering I mean that was that was kind of the strange thing here is that um at least at least for me um you know the thing that that got me got me going the most was just thinking about how this, uh, with the absence of this person, just like this huge hole had been torn in this family, um, that had already, uh, weathered quite a bit of adversity. And, um, this young individual was really kind of this, uh, this beacon of hope in a, in a dark situation, um, for some of the members of of the family and with his, uh, disappearance just so quickly and senselessly and tragically in a in a car accident um just this void and all of those uh members of that family just having to you know continue and make sense of of these things and um I mean I think that the part that was hardest for me to uh well I mean it's not even like a difficulty thing it's just like the thing that that's that cut the deepest I guess was um, you know, the, my, my, my best friend here who I'm, uh, talking about, um, his nephew having died tragically, um, I mean, I, I know for a fact that, uh, my friend would, would die in his place in a heartbeat, you know, I mean, this, he was that, uh, important, I think, just that, that special and that, and, um, and so, so knowing that, uh, you know, a young person has, just been taken away, um, and not really having any power over that situation. 
it's just uh, very, very difficult. It's very tough to make sense of, and it's one of those things that, um, in in my worldview, I guess by by this point, I think um, I've I've made it pretty clear that I subscribe to this uh, the the universe as play or the universe as music and this drama unfolding, and that essentially it's not a serious thing. It's a it's a playful thing. It's um, it's the one actor acting out all these parts and there really is nothing to to fear or to worry about in that kind of a situation because everything is of the same uh, background. But nonetheless, with a situation like this, it just becomes very um, charged, you know? I think in these moments of uh, tragedy... Uh, a lot of people naturally ask questions like why, you know, the why did this happen and, you know, what could have happened differently. And um, I think people who don't normally talk about God in the usual sense start um, adopting that vocabulary to try and make sense of things. You know, why, you know, you know, this is God's plan or, you know, God chose to take a member from this family and, I don't know, it becomes this very personal level thing that all of a sudden this uh, philosophy where everything is just this organism growing, uh, when it hits this close to home, it uh, it really takes on that personal flavor. And um, for my part, you know, the questions aren't so much, you know, the why and the, and the who is behind it as much as um, just the the almost reveling, <laughs> and I know that's probably not the best word, but it might be the right word, this um, this reveling in sorrow. And um, it's not so much the why, it's more the compassion for um, just the, the, uh, the, the sorrow of people. And in thinking about the situation, I know that there's nothing that I can do to, to fix the, to fix the situation. Um, you know, it's, it's just so crazy how someone can be a living, breathing member of your life and the, of the whole world, and then in an instant, that's just gone, and having to make sense of that and pick up the pieces. And um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm just talking right now. Uh, having a fairly interesting childhood experience, um, gro- growing up in Littleton, Colorado, which uh, I'm. I'm fairly certain is built on an Indian burial ground um, just for as well-to-do as the area is. I think the um, the inhabitants are just a little bit off. And um, when I graduated uh, high school, by the time, you know, my group of friends graduated, we had already lost, you know, half a dozen friends to uh, suicides or uh, motorcycle accidents or... Um, car wrecks and so it dealing or you know I mean I didn't know anyone personally but even like the Columbine shootings and just that type of thing uh, that was uh, our what was it freshman year sophomore year I think it was must have been freshman freshman year sophomore year Um, but I mean we were the the neighboring school so uh, you know the, the Columbine kids were using our school in the afternoons and we were going in the mornings and uh, just kind of living with that sort of a 
unfiltered experience. You know, I think um, in a lot of ways it's more in tune with what the human experience is. I think uh, in a lot in a lot of ways this this culture is very sheltered, and um, you know we don't see death often, and when we do see death. Uh, it's very um, hidden and swept under the rug and um, we act like it doesn't happen. Um, Even, you know, uh, a funeral, like an open casket and the whole uh, job of a mortician is to take a a dead person and make them look like they're not dead and put them in this, like, you know, gilded box with satin... (laughs) innards and uh you know just send this person on their way to their next uh vacation spot but it's not really treated as a present um reality um and so i guess growing up with that that much uh experience with people dying um uh, by the time, like, I started having members of my family die, like my um, my grandma and then my grandpa and, um, you know, other friends after that, it became almost like there was such a thick layering of scales that it's it becomes hard to feel anything. And I don't know necessarily if that is just a defense that the body has or if that is just the way that, you know, humans are able to uh, continue. It's, uh, in, a, in a sense, I think of uh, animals. Um, there, there's documented evidence of certain types of animals that recognize when uh, a member of their you know, family unit has died, such as elephants um, and some other animals. Um, but by and large, you know, if, if you're a wild animal and one of the, the people dies, even, uh, I guess, a, a perfect example here is... Um, something that I'm thinking of now from uh, Joseph Campbell talking about the work of, um, what's her name there? The, uh, the woman who lived with uh, the gorillas in the mist there, uh, Jane Goodall. Um, the work that she was doing, and uh, I remember there was this part in um, one of the documentaries where there was this little young mother chimpanzee whose baby had died, and, um, you know, the, the animal was not, the, the chimpanzee was not able to cope with the idea that the, that the creature was dead, that this little baby was dead. And so she was carrying around the dead infant, almost like a doll, um, even though it wasn't alive. She still was, you know, taking it around with her and trying to feed it and, you know, poking it and like, you know, what's going on here? And I think, you know, chimpanzees are probably more intelligent than most, so they probably have some recognition but it wasn't until that little um, infant uh, that had died started to smell that the, the mother went off into the woods and came back without it. Um, so there, in some sense, uh, you know, the human is probably not too far removed. And so um, getting back to what I was just talking about, these scales that go up and this uh, just this thickness and... Um, you know, the, the, the denial that uh, allows what would otherwise just, you know, as soon as you start thinking about it, it becomes bad, but your, your brain is so adept at not thinking about it um, in a concrete way that it is almost like, um, like an animal that is able to just move on without the real, uh, you know, deeper thoughts, I guess. And 
I don't know. I mean, it's just interesting. And I think uh, most, most people listening have had some experience by now of uh, people dying, friends dying, family dying, whatever, and how there's always that initial moment of shock when you get the news and it doesn't even really register. And then, um, you know, after a few moments uh, or even longer, um, sometimes days, you know, sometimes even weeks, I've... Uh, um, but anyway, I, regardless of the length of time, the next uh, thing is just that, that, that real, I mean, sometimes it doesn't even come, but uh, when it does, it's that just absolute um, revelry and sorrow, you know, where it's just, it's all coming out. Um, so, you know, in this, in this thought process, my mind immediately goes back to that, um, you know, experience that I talked about in the first podcast of, um, you know, going into sadness, gung-ho, and um, it's, it's that same kind of, you know, pushing it to the point where you're almost in a delirium, I think. Um, at least that was my experience yesterday of just, uh, you know, getting this news while Huxley was taking a nap and basically just going outside and, and totally losing it. Like, it was, um, it was such overwhelming, just uh, empathetic sadness but at the same time, like, almost the revelry in it, I think. Um, and, and maybe it's just something that is per- permitted by my um, worldview. Again, this, that everything is ultimately the one, the one thing happening. And that, um, that, there, that there is nothing really in it to be afraid of or sad about. Um, nonetheless, you know, that sadness, that, that empathetic sadness... And just that deep sorrow almost being this um, cathartic um, release. Uh, just, um, I, don't, I don't even know what I'm trying to get at here. But uh, that, that process, I think, this is you know, sort of how it differentiates us from other animals, I think, is that uh, some animals might not even recognize death or really have any kind of deeper association than other, other than, oh, this, you know, this friend of us is now gone. And then, um, you know, the, the human being able to somehow know in those moments of deep experience that you're having an experience. It's almost that like self-awareness that makes it uh, so profound and um, at times difficult, but... Uh, and again, you know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just kind of talking here and I don't really have a point or an idea. I'm just kind of thinking through this, this, uh, state of affairs. Uh, so what was I even talking about? I mean, just the, these scales that go up, this, um, this, this mechanism that we have, I mean, even using the word mechanism is kind of an interesting choice as if it's like this mechanical, uh, just, you know, thing clicking into place and, and, uh, defending you as if it were, were a bad thing, but nonetheless, this, um, desensitivity, I guess, um, is really the best word. I mean, to desensitize is to take your senses and attenuate them, you know, to, to dull them. And I think to a large extent that is, uh, just this weird, curious thing that uh, I'm, I'm sure of this statement, that people are guilty about it. Um, I've, I've felt that. I've, everyone I've ever talked to who's dealt with these things has felt that guilt associated with um, that attenuation of, uh, of feeling. That you wonder, you know, why am I not sadder about this? How come, um, 
this horrible thing has happened and I'm, you know, almost immediately back to my, my normal, um, routine. And, you know, yesterday my experience was this, this, this whole event, like really just kind of knocked me on my, on my arse for, you know, a couple hours, um, just really, you know, stopped me in my tracks. And then, uh, by the time evening came and I had some time just kind of, you know, stew and talk to some different people and, you know, just kind of start whatever, like there just came a point where all of a sudden that, uh, that earlier state of just pure sadness and experience, um, is all of a sudden gone and you almost wish that you could get it back or you almost, um, you almost feel like you should be in it longer. Um, almost just as a, as a statement that you're actually there, you know, and that you actually care. And, um, you know, again, my experience, uh, myself and my friends growing up, you know, we, we dealt with, uh, people dying fairly often, um, you know, at least for what this culture kind of presumes to be a normal childhood, um, to the point where, uh, Nowadays, I mean, that was kind of one of the things that was so interesting to me is that this uh, this death actually, you know, really made me feel something. And I've had a number of uh, people pass away that were even closer to me, much closer to me, um, who have uh, passed away. And uh, I didn't really feel anything. Um, you know, I, I would have a, maybe a, just a brief moment of like, you know, the the feeling. But then it just it just, uh, it passes. And that's not to say that it just, it passes and it's over and all of a sudden it's easy. I mean, that's not the case at all. And I know that my, you know, my friend and his family who are, um, you know, experiencing this much closer than, you know, even my vicarious, you know, empathy. Uh, I mean, that this is a, a real thing that they're going to have to deal with for years and, you know, probably will never, uh, you know, they, they, are, they are going to all be markedly different from this moment forward. Nonetheless, this, um, this kind of strange guilt associated with uh, the resiliency. And I guess that's, uh, that's kind of a little root of something that I'm kind of digging at because it's, a, it's an interesting problem and it gets to the heart of not only um, dealing with... Uh, with death and tragedy, but also just our sensitivity to the world at large. Uh, you know, it's the feelings that you have when you see someone on a street corner with a sign um, saying, you know, homeless and, and this and that, or, you know, watching the, you know, adopt a child commercials and, you know, people that just like tugging on your heartstrings. And uh, there comes a point where you just can't feel anymore. You just can't make yourself um, sensitive to that, to that situation. And, um, so in that direction, uh, you know, another example, I remember very vividly, um, a couple years ago, probably about four years ago, um, traveling and, um, working on a video project. And I was in a, you know, driving a rental car in Chicago and on a street corner, um, you know, I had been in some kind of rougher parts of Chicago, sort of like the, uh, like South, uh, east kind of area. I don't really know Chicago all that well, but it was definitely like a very ethnic community and just a lot of, you know, obvious suffering going on. And so, you know, kind of having seen 
that throughout this uh, this stip or this <laughs> stay slash trip stip um, <laughs> through this uh, stay in Chicago. Um, you know, I saw this uh, this person on a street corner, just this miserably haggard and you know tragically so uh, you know street beggar. And I, I just all of a sudden was overcome with this, uh, like this real wave of emotions of just like how tragic and, you know, full of sorrow the world is that so many people are in a condition similar to that individual that I was, that I was looking at. And um, it was very reflective of other conversations with people in the past about, you know, what can I do? Like, there's so much going on. There's so much suffering and starving. Like, how can I help? Like, isn't it our duty to help if we can? And in this moment, looking at this uh, person on the street corner, I had this, this uh, just sensation. I don't even know what to call it. Just this idea, this thought that, um, you know, in that moment, I had the weight of the world on my shoulders, just the weight of it all, all of that sorrow of all of these people and all of the things that I don't have to go through that these people do and like um, feeling that weight just pressing down and um, really being crushed by it in that moment. And uh, the realization that came was that uh, no matter who you are, I mean, that's there's interesting characters throughout history, you know, Mother Teresa and the Dalai Lama and these uh, kind of embodiment of compassion, which maybe they're just these remarkable individuals, who knows. But uh, to some extent, um, that kind of carrying the world on you uh, crushes you. But when everyone is carrying their own weight, um, when everyone is carrying their own weight, it becomes weightless. The whole world becomes weightless. Um, And so the flip of that switch, you know, and it's hard for me to not think that in some way this is just an excuse, like a way to um, disconnect and not have to uh, really face that situation of saying, you know, that, that, you know, in, in another way, like it's his problem, it's not my problem. But it was a deeper thing than that. It was this, this feeling that, um, again, if, if the whole world is fundamentally okay, which is what I believe, then even if there's all of this uh, tragedy and sorrow, um, it is not our responsibility to, to shoulder at all. Um, and that was just the sense. And again, you know, like I hear it, and it sounds like this uh, cop-out, like this tap-out um, excuse uh, not to step up and try to make the world a better place. But I guess that's and I don't even really know how this all ties into what I was just talking about with, you know, personal and uh, family tragedy. But uh, it's, it's more this just thinking about sorrow and thinking about uh, suffering. And um, I guess it, it kind of relates back to, uh, you know, some Buddhist concepts. And even the, you know, the Buddha himself, uh, you know, he set out for the... Um, to to free all sentient beings from samsara. And samsara is just basically the Sanskrit word that kind of means the daily doings, you know, the whole the whole world as it is and everything in it to, you know, to to liberate all sentient beings. Uh, that was what he set out to do. And um, he did do that is what is 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 thought that this um, this person, this human, sat down and liberated all 
sentient beings. Um, but how did he do that? He didn't go out and individually hold everyone's hand and lead them to some thing that he had found. Nor did he, you know, go out and in a material sense, you know, feed people and do all this stuff. But what he did, this is just my interpretation in this moment, you know, I don't even know if I agree with it. But what he, what he did was in his own uh, consciousness, he dissolved himself, he dissolved the other people, he dissolved everything to the point that, the, that everything was liberated through him in that moment, in that experience. Um, or something like that. I mean, that, 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 what I'm getting at here is that it is an internal liberation, but that, uh, that the fact that it can extend to all beings through you, regardless of the situation, that's the thing. The Buddha had this experience, and the world didn't change um, in that moment. He didn't, you know, all of a sudden unlock this door and everyone ascended to heaven and things were different. Uh, you know, a new world. Uh, the same world continued, but through this inward... Um, whatever it was, you know, this inward, uh, inward uh, detachment from fear and um, desire uh, was able to liberate himself and everybody. So I guess that was kind of what I, um, what I imagined then in that, in that statement that when you're carrying your own weight, all is weightless. You know, when everyone carries their own weight, all is weightless. It's, this, it's, it's that idea. Um, in another Similar uh, example, um, there's a bodhisattva, and a bodhisattva is basically a, an enlightened being. It's, a, it's, another, for, it's another Buddha, because uh, the Buddha, even though it's a historical um, person, which whether or not that there actually was a person, that's what it's um, thought about when you say the Buddha, but there are tons and tons of Buddhas in uh, Buddhism. It's just in a, you know, someone who has woken up. It's a title. So anyone who wakes up is, is a Buddha. But a bodhisattva is essentially, you know, an enlightened being. Um, uh, but more of like a, in a mythical sense, I think. But anyway, there's a bodhisattva whose name is Avalokitesvara, which is one of my favorite words to say, period. And I probably don't even say it right, but Avalokitesvara is uh, Sanskrit, I believe. Um, but uh, this uh, bodhisattva is uh, an embodiment of this compassion, and in one form, um, Avalokitesvara is imagined as this 11-headed uh, bodhisattva with a thousand arms. And every hand on every arm has an has a all-seeing eye, which reflects its you know, supreme consciousness moving through all of its actions. But the, the legend associated with Avalokitesvara was that... Um, Similar to the Buddha, uh, this Bodhisattva said, you know, I am going to uh, set myself to liberating all sentient beings. Um, that, was, that was the task that it set itself. And, um, I mean, he, she, I say it, but, you know, he or she, it's kind of this androgyne uh, uh, personality, I guess. But uh, he, she, uh, set him, set, <laughs> I'm just going to say him, whatever, set himself to uh, liberate all beings, and faced with the enormity of the task, uh, it said that his head exploded into thousands and thousands of pieces, just uncountable pieces. And, um, you know, when I think about that, I mean, separating the, the poetic imagery 
you know, from like a historical event and more just thinking about that as the, the feeling that you get when you really try to internalize and think about on the same level that I was, um, you know, feeling empathetically the sorrow of my friend and his family, um, trying to feel that for everyone who's suffering and the immensity of, of life and its doings, um, having your head explode <laughs> is uh, what happened to this bodhisattva. And so then, um, you know, I forgot exactly what uh, figure then reassembled, uh, reassembled his head uh, you know, whether it was the Buddha or, you know, some other, some other de- deity at that point or whatever you want to call it, some other uh, force, put all the pieces back together and the result was this 11-headed, uh, thousand-armed, um, uh, how do you say that? I, there's not really a word for this. It's just um, this, this, this concept that, this, that those uh, thousand arms represent all the different ways that things are being done, but there is compassion in every single one of them. So there, there's a thousand different ways to do anything, and in every single one of those ways is this embodiment of universal um, compassion. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just bringing this up because it's, you know, I see the image in my head and it's just kind of a cool thought, and that's kind of the way that um, we experience these things to some extent is the... Uh, the blowing up, you know, the, the pouring out, the exploding when, when really trying to cope with it all. And then, uh, you know, the, the reassembly and then the moving forward and the enlightened view is that in that moving forward, um, the compassion is still there and even more so. Um, it's not the, uh, the overlooking of sorrow and suffering. It's that uh, in, in anything that you're doing, there is somehow embodied that compassion that the entire universe has, I think is the sense of that image. And um, very heady, very, you know, thinky, um, and whether or not that translates into an experience that's any more or less uh, whatever, good or, you know, um, I, what, I, what I'm getting at here is I don't think in this moment that thinking about these types of things is going to ever alleviate that feeling of sorrow when it comes, uh, nor should it. Um, and really kind of what I was talking about is that to some extent we, um, we enjoy the sorrow or we, we feel like the sorrow is, uh, is, is a part of it. And um, we're, we're guilty um, in a lot of different ways. We're guilty that uh, it feels good to... To, to let go like that. And then we feel guilty that uh, having let go, um, we move past it. And uh, I don't know, it's just a very, very interesting, crazy aspect of life is, you know, dealing with these types of uh, situations. And you know, what is the loss of one uh, 18-year-old in the whole scheme of things? I mean, obviously, it's, it's not much, right? But it is. It's everything. It is the entire, you know, it is an entire universe uh, leaving existence. It is, and especially if you're, you know, closely associated with that, it's, it's a huge ripping of, of, vi- of, of a vitality, of a, of a living sense of things that is just removed uh and you know the reconciliation of those two viewpoints of the you know 30,000 foot looking down you can't see a single individual you know what's an individual it's this whole organism 
you know, it's the cell of a tree, which I talk about quite often, you know, and in one leaf, you know, there's a few million cells or trillion cells, who knows, and um, when I sit and look at, uh, unfortunately, there's no leaves in the trees right now, but, you know, looking up at, uh, fine, a pine needle, and I'm looking at this tree, and there's just thousands of pine needles, and in every single pine needle, there's, you know, millions of cells, and from this focal point, uh, you know, what is one cell's passing? It's nothing, right? Uh, it is just part and parcel of this whole process proceeding, and um, that's one way to look at it. Uh, the other way is you crank up the magnification, and that one individual is this miraculous, shining jewel of existence that is so deep and complex and unfathomable, and its existence is just as deep and profound as the entire tree. You know, one cell living and doing this thing is an embodiment of that mystery on that level. And so when it uh, goes out of existence, when it dies, and that whole, um, you know, panicked fall into entropy, into, you know, the chaos, uh, you know, on that level is um, paramount to the end of everything, you know? And there's all ranges in between, I think, of those two viewpoints. And no, no, no one thing is more uh, real or less real. Um, but, you know, between that 30,000-foot view and the, you know, actual experience of it, you know, there's gotta, there, there must also be a place where that spectrum comes back around. Those two poles, which seem so far apart you know, must somehow reconnect and, and create that circle. And um, I know this is just getting very uh, existential and uh, just kind of conceptual, really. I mean, these are all just ideas being pushed around. But um, that's the thought process, I guess, that I'm, that I'm working through um, in this moment. And, um, you know, the other, the other part of it is, what do you do? I mean, what is there that you can do for someone who is suffering? And, uh, you know, in this case, I'm thinking about my friend, and I obviously want to do everything that I possibly can to be there as a support, to be there and, um, you know, make, the, make it better, you know. Uh, knowing that you can't, you still just want to want to do something. But at the same time, you know, the recognition, obviously, that... Uh, that the only thing you can do is just let the people who are dealing with it the most uh, do do with it in their own time what they will. And if and when that includes you, it will. And if it doesn't, it won't. Um, you know, and you can, you can certainly send a gift basket, but you're not going to be able to go in there and fix the problem. And uh, who knows if it even is a problem. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a tragedy, um, by any definition, but um, those experiences. And, you know, I, I brought this up very early um, in this introduction of this podcast that the other side of this that is equally crazy to deal with right now is that um, this young person um, died tragically within, uh, you know, 48 hours of another uh, life coming into existence. So my, my friend had his nephew die while his baby was being born, essentially. And so all of a sudden, one just incredibly important person is gone. And all of a sudden, there's this new person who is also, you know, just profoundly important. And it's, I mean, that swinging door, that, uh, you know, revolving door of uh, one goes out, one comes in. And, uh, you know, I'm not, 
on paper, you know, it's all, it's all a very deep thought, right? But, um, you know, internalizing that is, is, is weird. It's, it's just a weird thing, I think. Um, but it, it does have that effect, I, th- I, I, uh, I feel, because I was, I was really going through this uh, tough afternoon yesterday, just, you know, internalizing and dealing with um, this, this sorrow. And uh, I was just amazed that my uh, friend... We were only talking through text messages, but uh, he just seems so level-headed already, you know. And my my uh, my compassion at that moment was for him and how hard it must be. And the you know kind of the answers I was getting back were you know at the time almost confusing that he could be not just a wreck, but already he was um, I mean obviously very very uh, torn up by the situation without a doubt. I mean, but. Again, that that um, that internalizing it and taking it and moving forward somehow in some way, but uh, he sent me then a text message uh, photo. Um, I had had one from when the baby was born, but um, another of you know this little girl who looks so much like my friend and his wife. This little you know one day old human being, and uh, you know even though I was sitting there and I was in the depths of the sorrow, like looking at this funny little face, this funny little person who was all of a sudden new. I mean, it was just like this, it was whiplash. It was just from one extreme to the other. And um, again, you know, in that, in that whole continuum, it was that, that uh, joy going, that, that was coming out of that sorrow. And I don't think that one was necessarily in this case, you know, that, that the sorrow was becoming this joy, but it was just like this joy and sorrow at the same time that was just so weird. And really is kind of what prompted me to sit down and, and talk, I think, today to try and make sense of this to myself. Because even in that moment, uh, my friend said in his text, you know, uh, I, f- I feel so guilty for being happy, you know, like I'm, I'm so happy right now with my new daughter and I feel so guilty about it. I mean, he didn't go into this depth. This is just my interpretation, you know, of, you know, feeling guilty that you are enjoying when you should be uh, sorrowful and like I, like I said at the get-go, like I do not have any kind of a, of an answer or, you know, there is no way I think to make sense of this. It's, it's, it is of a profundity, uh, of the profoundness of the entire universe itself. I mean, here are two of the most difficult concepts that, that touch, you know, um, this, this death and this birth. And here they are at once in a, in a very, personal and real situation and uh, at some point it's not even a mental thing it's not even about your mind understanding it as much as it's just the experience that happens and um, you continue to to move through and grow out of all of you know the sum of all these experiences I guess I don't know. Like I said, I don't have anything that's gonna to make this make sense. I don't think it is just uh, curious and fascinating and interesting that in a lot of the world's religions or uh, mythologies, these poetic ways that we um, makes make a sense of experience, I guess, <laughs> or make sense of our senses, if that makes sense. <laughs> but um, you know, the 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 deity or the personification or the image is better. The image of death is often the same image as birth and life, and um, in in Hinduism, that is uh, 
Shiva, who I've talked about before and is one of the most interesting uh, images to my mind um, to think about. And Shiva is the lord of death and destruction and tearing it all down. And, you know, he's the one that dances at the end of the world and everything goes awash in fire. And at the very same time, he is the lord of sex and uh, passion and uh, rebirth and regeneration. Um, and at the same time is the bottom line, that, that the two are constantly intertwined. That anytime there is something new happening, it's because it was something old changing you know it's a, it's a transformation and in in you know this this specific example of a you know a, a young man dying and a new baby girl coming into the world it's not as clear um it's not as just uh easy to internalize that it it wasn't as if um this young man became this young girl you know uh, which would be a much easier thing i think to uh to internalize or to uh be okay with um, it's, I mean, that's not necessarily the case. Yet, um, there is that recognition that in in the process of both happening, there are both principles. So, in in the birth, there is also the death. Uh, in the in the birth of that uh, young, you know, that baby girl, there is a transformation uh, that is ongoing. That is taking you know, food and energy and all of these things and plants and whatever, and, and those things are destroyed and restructured into this new organism. And uh, even more um, just kind of uh, intangible than that, you know, uh, I remember when I had uh, Huxley that, uh, you know, it was a death to your old self. It was a death to your old way of life. It was... Um, you know, leaving behind the way things were and moving forward with a new situation. And that, I mean, what I'm getting at is that, that all of these things are, are happening at all moments all the time. They're just really profound in these, uh, in these moments that we can really put our finger on as an event. So in that, um, you know, in, in the death of that young man, there was also the, re, the rebirth, the regeneration of everything that he was is now free to be anything again. And that's uh, true of, you know, the actual physical uh, stuff that he was, you know, that, that we all are, that is constantly changing. You know, that, that goes back into just this whole uh, system of, you know, new forms coming out of it. Um, you know, the symbolism of pushing up daisies is, uh, is beautiful. That uh, you're put in the ground and... You know, the flowers then are, you know, you are the flowers in that, uh, in that sense. And so, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's really not going to be any way to think or talk about this without um, feeling, again, that guilt, that, um, that excusatory making it okay, making it go away through um, whether it's just pure uh, denial or whether it's this uh, rationality or whether it's... Um, you know, I remember as a kid uh, in high school when a friend would die, it became this sort of strange uh, religious event that would otherwise not be the case. That all of these, you know, teenagers who were nowhere near religious all of a sudden found themselves in this uh, cultural institution um, with someone up at a at an altar or a, you know a little podium 
who we knew had never met this person, who had never, and even if they did, they didn't know them, you know, like, you don't know my friend, like, we knew our friend, and here you are telling us all of these deeply personal things, and making it this uh, morality play, and making it this, um, this religious thing, yet that impulse is there, we almost, I mean, one of the worst funerals I ever went to was one um, here in Fort Collins for a student of um, Kayla's, my wife, um, we went to this funeral, and it was this uh, kind of new agey. All denominations were kind of recognized, and there was no real, um, there was no real myth at work. There was no uh, making sense of things, and instead, it kind of became this uh, dancing around all of these things that everyone like had in their minds. You know, that's the thing is that that really is the religious impulse, uh, and uh, the first, you know, the the big call to want to understand what has happened. And, um, I don't know, it's just funny to me that, uh, I don't even know what it is that's funny to me, but there's there's just something about that um, experience, especially when I was younger with my friends and, you know, dealing with uh, the death of a friend and having it wrapped in this whole system that was just completely alien and not really the one that was functioning in the daily life of, uh, you know, myself and my friends, um, all of a sudden it, it, people are, are quick to talk in those terms because it's, uh, and when it, you know, to put it a little more specifically, you know, all of a sudden it comes back to, you know, God and um, the purpose and the plan, and um, which I think are perfectly sound ways to to say the same things that I've been saying since the beginning that, um, you know, you can call it a plan that's, you know, a, a planner has this plan or you could call it this, uh, play that is being played out. And I don't think it changes it necessarily. I don't think one is more right or, or wrong, but I guess all I'm pointing out, if anything, is just, um, this curious, uh, this curious mental switch that happens at, in these moments of real loss, you know, when you're completely outside of your range of what you can understand, uh, is where we seek these, um, these deeper concepts. And whether that means like in an institutional way, in a, um, in a theological way or whatever it is, there's still to, I mean, even to yourself, you have to, you have to make some sort of, again, you know, this word that I keep joking with is, you know, this this rational um, idea that makes it, um, that fits it into your puzzle, you know, that fits it into your story about what the world is and what's going on. Um, I don't even know, I'm, I'm kind of rambling here, but I think about my friend and, you know, he has to move on and he he will always know and remember and feel that uh, time when his daughter was born as this beautiful event with this utter tragedy intertwined. And um, I don't think that there can be necessarily a way to just uh, move past that without making some sort of a, a statement about it to, to make it okay. Because otherwise, it just... Uh, it, 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 it twists our brain in so many knots and our not, a, not just our brain, our, our whole being um, is just kind of, you know, the, the words that we tend to use are these ones like senseless and unfair. You know, I think that, that is 
those two words are said so much when someone passes, especially someone who is young and, uh, you know, kind of tragically, um, you know, di- you know, dies in a tragic way. These words of senseless and unfair and, um, that's just as reflective of what I'm, what I'm talking about here is that, uh, you know, to, to use words like that shows that it's being put into a story where there is fairness and there is sense in things that, you know, you know, people are living their lives and, and it makes sense because it's getting us towards this or that, or, you know, it's, you know, good, good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people or, you know, whatever it is, like there's this sense of equanimity of there being a, um, of a plan, you know, and then when something like this happens, it gets into these terms of nonsense and uh, fairness. And uh, the only way to move through it, I guess, is for us to either completely shut it out, um, which I think is possible and happens, or to um, tell the story to yourself in a way that makes it okay. And um, a lot of it is, you know, this is unfair, but it's but it's God's plan, and God is... Um, God knows what he's doing, you know, and we have to, we have to have faith in that. And that really is a beautiful, uh, way to, to look at things and whether it is, um, but again, you know, as soon as you, as soon as you say that, if you fall back into the trap that it was his plan because of fairness and because of, you know, that everything will be fair in the end or everything will be made sense of in the end, I think, I think that's where we get stuck because it, it might never make sense and it might never be fair. And that plan that we're talking about, um, you know, might never feel fair or uh, sensible. But if that's, if that's the story that we're sticking to, and, I, and you know, I think it is, you know, whether, whether it's this person, this God, this uh, being who is writing this story and making, uh, you know, these plot decisions in advance to tell this story or whatever... Or it is, you know, an orgasm, or orgasm, <laughs> an organism um, growing uh, and doing these things that all organisms do, or whether it's this or that or whatever. I mean, that that faith, I think, is is the uh, magic elixir that, um, regardless of how you um, symbolize it, regardless of how you want to talk about it and think about it, that there is that fundamental faith that um, it is all okay. And when I say okay, I don't mean good. And I don't mean bad. I just mean okay, in that there's nothing that we can do about it. So it, it must be okay. Because, um, you know, if it were not okay, that means that there's, you know, a problem that could be fixed, and that's not the case, I don't think. And really, this word faith, to me, um, is a word that is uh, commonly abused. I think it is one of the most beautiful, powerful uh, experiences and concepts that we can have, but I don't think people necessarily um, use it in that in that way. I mean, to say that you have faith in something, I think a lot of people use that word to say that I have faith that what I believe is going to end up being what is, you know? And that's uh, whether that's God's promise to me that I've read in the Bible and been told by people or have felt in my own way that this is what it's going to be. You know, I have faith in that set of occurrences happening. And I don't think that's faith at all. I think that's uh, expectation. I think that's um, wishing, you know, um, wishing for things to be just the way that you want them to be and to say that I have faith 
that everything that is written in the Bible is going to happen as it's going to happen, um, as it's written or whatever, um, that that type of faith is not the more is not the powerful faith that I'm talking about here. I think the real powerful faith is the the letting go of any kind of expectations because you really have faith in the whole thing. And not that the whole thing is going to end up where it should end up or that everything is going to be good eventually and that, you know, every, you know, not, not that some set of occurrences is going to happen, but the real faith and the real, um, you know, the, the, the real faith that everything is fundamentally okay, that everything is doing what it's doing and that there's no other way that it can be doing it and that it's not our job to fix it and that, um, you know, God has a plan. I mean, I think that's more real faith. And that plan is, I mean, that's the thing. God has a plan. I believe that, you know. I have faith that whatever we put the word God on, um, you know, not a plan in our sense of plan that, you know, we have A and B that leads to C and, you know, this whole like logical structure, but the plan being um, it's doing, you know, God, I mean, I would, I would rather rephrase it that God is doing exactly what God does. And, you know, you can either take that or leave it, but you really don't have a choice because it's, you're going to be subject to it either way. Um, this is just such, such a, a strange personal type thing that, you know, I'm, I'm probably not doing it justice, but I mean, to me, that, that's the key here is that the, the faith is what gets us through everything because the faith is um, that we don't know, that we don't have any answers, and that's okay. Um, and that, you know, if, if uh, the word that you um, like to use to symbolize the, the whole thing and what it's doing is God, then um, by all means, you know, God is... You know, you, you, at some level you either have to decide whether you're going to play the game or not, Right? Um, so if you're going to play the game, you, you just have to say that this is okay. You know, uh, it's a game, it's, uh, it's play and everything is okay. God has, you know, God is doing what God is doing and I don't need to tell God what to do. I mean, that's kind of the thing is, uh, in some senses, the word faith is used in a, in a way to tell God what he should be doing. Right. And, um, who are, who are we to, uh, to put our human value judgments on this larger system happening. You know, it's that, that analogy again that I was using of the cell in the tree trying to tell the tree that it should do something differently um, because the cell would prefer if it went on forever. But that tree couldn't be growing and living season after season and doing all of these miraculous things and existing unless it was doing exactly what a tree was doing. So for that cell, the faith is that I am... Not only am I part of, but I am this thing. I am this thing happening. And I'm saying yes to it. Because there's nothing else to say. I could say no and I can, you know, bend myself all out of shape. But in the end, you're always moving with this stream. Uh, yeah, sorry to get so, so preachy. It's not um, not really my intent. It's just this, this idea, uh, to me really is a powerful one. And, um, I'm just trying to get it across and I can feel that I'm, that I'm not quite hitting the mark, but, uh, yeah. So to me, that, that is, uh, all that I've really been able to, uh, put into 
words um, coming out of this situation. And it's one of those things that, you know, with that faith in mind, you know, I have faith that my friend will call me when he needs to. And I have faith that uh, everyone is going to go through this process the way that... um, the way that they will and that that is okay that 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 whole thing the whole i mean that's the thing once you say yes to one thing you you say yes to everything and all of a sudden everything is what it is and it's not what it should be you know it's not um it's really that's the heart of it but anyway um that's just me kind of uh ranting and raving through some of these uh very present concepts as uh, i continue to uh deal with this situation and um yeah i hope uh if if uh you know if you got anything out of it then great (laughs) and if not uh great (laughs) so i'm gonna leave it there and um yeah until next time